You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Good afternoon, despite our best attempt to convince you it's the morning by repeatedly saying good morning. Um, I was just reading this German worship, uh, Exodus 33, verse 15 says this. Then Moses said, if you don't go personally with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on earth. Would that be true? Would he, he's personally with us, don't you love that? But would we not go another step without the presence of God? You know, this um, last week I was I was walking with my daughter and um, she does what she often does is just starts collecting things on the walk. And um, she's got a number of uh, stones and I, I would call them pebbles, but they weren't. They were kind of like fairly large and um, to the point where she's struggling to carry them and I don't want to carry them because we just constantly collect more stuff. So she stuck them in her pockets and she's weighed down and we got in the car and uh, we were only in the car for a few moments because we were going on somewhere else. And um, she hid them under the car seat because if somebody looked in the window, she didn't want them to steal them because to her, like these stones were, were valuable things and uh, they become incredibly precious. And when we got home, she washed them and um, dried them and then prepared them to be painted. And her grand plan uh, was actually quite something. She said to me, can we do that thing that you do on your phone where we make money? And I was like, what is that? So don't, don't, if you're all panicking, don't worry, I'm not like on Betfred and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I eventually worked it out. She meant eBay. And um, I, I thought I kind of need to somehow just set some expectations here as to what's going to happen with these stones once you've painted them and um, I was thinking she's going to try and turn up at school or turn up here and basically convince you lot to pay a tenner for them which would take some doing um, but she, I managed to get her to the point where uh, she was going to give a few to family uh, and she was going to give them to anybody homeless who wouldn't be able to pay for them but you lot were still in the like the £10 category and um, I, I have to say that it got me thinking about the moment that we're in as a church. And you're all like, really? How You've got a very interesting mind. Um, but, it, but it did because this. She's building this little pile of stones. And they became very precious. And they were quite something of something symbolic to her. And it made me reflect on so many times in the Bible... There's these significant moments, and what they often did was they'd build a pile of stones. They'd have these stone-stacking moments, and in one of those moments, the stones kind of represented like the marking out of boundaries, and a stack of stones would be put on the corner of your property, especially if there was like no other natural marker to it. If there was, you know, no tree or big boulder or whatever it was, they'd just put some of these stones to mark it. And what it kind of said was, this, this area belongs to somebody. Don't trespass or don't sow here or don't reap here without permission from somebody else. And um, they, they, were, they were boundary markers, ideally to keep people out, or at least they said, hey, you need to ask permission 
before you enter this bit of territory. And the other function of the stack stones was, was almost to serve as like a memorial. It was to serve as a reminder. And um, if a number of you will be familiar with the story, but remember the story of Joshua leading the 12 tribes of Israel into the promised land. And after the exodus from Egypt, they're wandering through the wilderness and they're about to cross the River Jordan. And Joshua tells the tribe to pull a stone out of the river and to start to build an altar on the west side of the river. And the stack of stones was to be a reminder to the people that God had left them safe, led them safely on their journey to the land of Canaan, and the one that was promised to their forebearers. And when the people got to the area to Bethel, they would have seen a stone. They would have seen a standing stone. And this one was put there by Jacob when he was laying on the spot and had a dream about the ladder to heaven. And there's angels going up and down on it, almost messengers of God to him. You can read it in um, Genesis 35, but it says this. This said, Jacob is the very house of God, Bethel. So he raised the stone that had been his pillar, pillow. And um, why did he do that? Well, it was kind of like a reminder moment. It was a marker moment that on this spot, I and you too, to the people there, met God. It was like a stone stacking moment to remind them of that. It was a once as a boundary marker, but then secondly, as a memorial. And both were represented in these stacked stones. And I kind of want to be honest, I think for me, even personally, I felt like a similar thing was happening this, mor this morning that is actually the afternoon that I need to call the afternoon because it's not the morning. But this thing was happening to me where I feel like we're just stacking some stones. We're, we're building this little pile together because firstly, God, you got us here in the first place as a church plant that is forming, Wow. I'm so grateful to you for all that you're doing among us. We depend on you and we're fully surrendered to you. And then secondly, we're ready to stick our next stone to mark our boundary wherever you want it to be and however you say you want it to be done. We surrender what we think and we take up what you think. Now, I realize that for some of you, the almost fragility of the moment we're in could feel quite destabilizing. But having watched many, many church plants over many years that have gone before us, the moment they often reflect on, the moment where often the power of God is and the stories are, they often talk about the early days because that's where there just has to be steps of faith because there's nothing else. Anything could happen but all you've really got is an utter dependency on God and as a result, steps of faith. It's also often people would talk about it as a really hard part because it stretches you because you're in the place of the in-between. You're in the place between the certain and the uncertain. But every time, that's where the God moments are. That's where the God stories are. That's where the miracles are. And that's where the opportunities are for the boundaries to be extended and for people to be drawn in in remarkable ways to the kingdom of God and see lives transformed and changed. Now, some of you I know, you'll be in a moment where you're like, where do I hang my coat in this moment? And I want to say this, hang your coat firmly on Jesus. 
Hebrews 6, verse 19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Everything else and anything else is going to shift and will be shifting sand. Psalm 16, verse 5 to 9, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. Your, you guard all that is mine. The land that you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is with me always. I will not be shaken, for he is right by my side. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice, and my body finds rest in safety. The Lord is with us, and I want to say that to some of you that need that reminder. Let's not be shaken because he's right beside us. I still find it a marvel that during COVID, somehow this church grew. Let's go again in faith because he leads and he guides and he does it as he pleases. And we just want to stay in step with wherever he wants us to put the stone. Practically, honestly, I hope we get back to a meeting space in the mornings for a number of reasons. I hope we get into a meeting space where we don't feel like we're abroad and we should be in shorts. I, I find it personally quite challenging where the environment that people walk into, everybody faces. If you're a newcomer, if you're late, if you need to pop out, it's just a deeply difficult thing. I find it difficult when we have these staggered stairs because people often, it just creates, if nothing else, a mentality of spectators rather than we all get to do this. It makes it something about a, a performance and a show rather than hang on with one body and one community. And I'll probably share, I think we're making steps towards it and I'll share a little bit more next week once it's landed. But I do feel like we're in a really timely moment to have embarked on this If My People series. If you're just joining us for the first time today, we've kind of called it If My People because that's what we see in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. And let me just read the passage to you so that you're familiar. It says this, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it, for it is dear to my heart. I love how so much of that is even reflected in what we were singing this morning. Now for repenting to all we have is Jesus. Would that be true of us in any moment, but especially now? But I want to frame a little conversation this morning around a passage in um, Mark chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to it? I'm going to read from verse 35. And it says this, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind them, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking high into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on the cushion. The disciples woke up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then, they, then he asked them, why were you afraid? 
do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. The first thing I kind of want to draw out of this passage is this. God is working in the circumstances of our lives. Jesus has had this full day teaching. It's now the evening and he and the 12 need to get some rest, get some food, whatever it might be. There's kind of nothing unusual about the moment that they find themselves. And he says to them, verse 35, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And they head east towards the region of Gennesaret. So you see more in chapter 5, verse 1. And they've currently, just in this moment, they've got a convoy of boats that are following them. You see again, if you read it in chapter 4, verse 36, even now, again, it's happening. You can't get away from the crowds and the people that flock to them. And Jesus gets into the boat with the others and immediately he falls into a deep sleep. I feel like he's like a parent that has just put a significant shift in. Whilst the kids are getting into bed, he himself falls to sleep. I've had it so many times with our children when I'm trying to get them to bed. They often wake me up and they're like, Daddy, I can't sleep. You're snoring. And I'm like, I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to make it to 10 o'clock somehow. And then suddenly, though, in this boat, in this moment, everything turns upside down. This fierce wind kind of arose and the word speaks of a hurricane-type wind and they've started taking on water. Many aspects of this story, for those of you that are familiar, actually echo something of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. These seasoned sailors and fishermen suddenly find themselves in and amongst a storm like they've never experienced. But here's, here's the critical detail. It was Jesus that led them into the storm. This wasn't an accident. This did not catch him off guard. Nor does the moment you may be in personally or we're in as a church, we shouldn't be alarmed by surprises in our lives. So often they're divinely orchestrated moments whereby God is working in and through everyday circumstances of our lives to reveal to us who he is, who we are, and who we need. Trials and tribulations and difficulties and desperate moments are often when God does his greatest work in our lives. When he brings us to the end of ourselves, we're driven to him and him alone as saviour and as rescuer. If he does not act, we will not be saved. The reality is, would you ever want it any other way? Because surely faith answers that question with a resounding no. But sometimes we need the storm to get us to that place. Right now, we get to seize the moment to be hungry, to be desperate, to be surrendered, to be consecrated in new ways. God is working in the circumstances of our lives. The second thing I want to draw out of this passage is this. We panic when we lose faith in the one that we should trust. Verse 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. There's kind of a some of you are probably too young for this, but I, when I read this, I just thought of the dad's army moment. <laughs> Don't panic, Mr. Manning. And Pike goes off into a full-blown panic, and I kind of 
I love watching that, but here we see the normal human reaction to something that actually we can't control. We do not see the spiritual response that actually you might expect from people that have been with Jesus. The apostles, the disciples are in a panic. Wake Jesus up. Wake him up. Jesus, sorry, just as the captain of Jonah's ship was deeply irritated with him for sleeping whilst he and the others were perishing, so the disciples criticized Jesus as well. Mark says they called him teacher. Matthew 8 verse 25 says Lord. The terms of honor, the terms of respect, the terms of almost putting him in his rightful place. But in this moment, they demand of him. They're shouting at him. Don't you care? Aren't you bothered that we're perishing? They question in the moment his love for them and his concern for them. Frustrated by what appears to be indifference to the struggle that they're facing and facing this desperate situation where they have no hope of handling it themselves. They lash out, almost in like a rude outburst, rather than exhibiting faith in the one who's proven himself trustworthy time and time and time and time again. You see, we do not see the spiritual response, I don't think, that you would expect to get from those that have spent time closely with Jesus. And then I read it and I kind of have to ask myself, do my actions and my responses reveal to the people around me that I've spent time with Jesus? Jesus has proven himself faithful to me time and time again, over and over again. And yet when we get caught by surprise or when we're squeezed in the vice of trouble, it can be so much easier to doubt and feel frustrated and rattled rather than show steady, composed faith. You'll have faced this many times. Your personal life will have had frustrations that spill out onto others and you act and respond in ways that aren't consistent with all that we're called to be. And we have to try and modify that and we have to try and change that and we have to try and bring that before the Lord. The burden over your children, the burden over your job, the burden over your finances and your house and your workplace and your kingdom effort. And it spills out and less unchecked. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said this, God is too wise to blunder, too good to be unkind, leaving off doubting and bring to trust him. For in doing so, you put a crown on his head. As I was pondering that this week, I thought, you know, don't we want to crown him in faith? If we have the two options of do we doubt and stand in unbelief or do we stand in faith and put a crown on his head, surely we want to put a crown on his head. And I say that to us as individuals, but I also say it to us as a church for the moment we're in. Would this be another opportunity to crown him, to show him, to reveal to him the faith that we have? We panic when we lose faith in the one that we should trust. The third thing I wanted to pull out is this. Jesus has authority over nature because he is God. Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. He is omniscient. He knows all things, both actual and potential. He's omnipresent. He 
always exists everywhere and he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Jesus' gracious humility is on display. He doesn't go and punish the disciples for their less than ideal way of waking him from sleep. My, my uh, daughter literally loves to wake me up and I could end this story there because she literally just loves to wake me up, but she'll get as close to my face as is humanly possible without touching me or saying anything until I just wake up through a sense of there's something going on other than just the deep sleep and the dream that I'm in. And then I yelp in a panic and that kind of, she loves it, it's delightful to her. But I think as Jesus wakes in this moment, it's really quite a simple, non-magical statement that he just seems to roll off the cuff and make. He rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, silence, be still. And the, the word rebuke can actually mean censor. It's the same word that's used in chapter 1, verse 25. When Jesus rebukes the demons, don't, don't you find that fascinating? I find that really fascinating that it's the same root word. This storm could have been demonically instigated to take Jesus and the disciples out. Verse 35, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. We might look um, a little bit next week at where we're going and why and how, but they've, they've, they've got a job to do. The disciples have. He said we're going to the other side of the lake. And when they get there, they've got something to do, which we might look at next week. But I think them getting there is resisted and quite significantly. Can I, can I say this to you? I, there is an assignment on your life. You have a job to do. We collectively have a job to do. There's an assignment on this church. And both of those, individually and collectively, will be resisted. Kind of, if I'm honest, of course they will. But Jesus has said they're going to the other side. There may be storms, there may be some really difficult challenges. Some of you may feel at times it's just too much. It's just too hard. The emotional, the circumstantial, the spiritual assault. But Jesus has said they're going to the other side. And I want my eyes and ears on him and what he's saying, and not the problems and the challenges in between. Be still kind of carries this idea and this concept of like a, a muzzle. The, the idea is this, be still and stay still. The response of both the wind and the wave is immediate because the master, the overseer, the Lord of it, has spoken. Do we have a remarkable opportunity as a church to follow God into the next stage of all that he has for us. Yes, we do. Is there highly suspicious activity in a number of places that is trying to oppose health and growth and relationships and dynamics and are we being contended for? Also, yes. Am I overstating a fire in a school? Well, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm not even talking about a fire in a school. But if we're truly living out the mandate on our lives as a church, we will be contended for. Spiritually, relationally, logistically, desire, jobs, houses, circumstances, health. It's kind of all part of it. Here is our Lord's deity 
on full and glorious display. Hurricane force winds are stopped in a single word. Only God could do that. Jesus must therefore be God. This is the direction in which Jesus seeks to drive a point home with his disciples. Would we fall to our knees in utter desperation and humility and hunger to worship him and follow him? The only answer and the only answer to the solution they face or to anything we face or anything we find the only answer we have surely would be that we would humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways and he will hear from heaven and will forgive our sins and restore this land and his eyes will be open and his ears will be attentive to every prayer made in this place jesus has authority what are you personally contending for because jesus says still and be silent a number of you this is actually a thought process at the moment you have thoughts and feelings and they've been contended for some of you it's a health thing i want to say don't stop contending don't stop standing in the gap and contending and trusting and believing. Don't grow weary of contending what is being contended for. We're going to the other side because Jesus said so. The fourth thing I just want to pull out of this passage is this. It says, kind of, to me, it speaks of trials and difficulties actually come for the benefit of our faith. Mark 4, verse 40. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus now turns from addressing the storm to addressing his disciples. He kind of expresses a bit of a mild rebuke. Why are you fearful, guys? Do you still have no faith? Have you not been around me long enough? Have you not realized or seen who I am? By now they should have had a greater comprehension and an increased faith as a result of spending time with him. This to him was kind of a golden teaching moment and in that moment you could say they kind of came up short in the eye of the storm rather than trusting him the disciples accused Jesus of forsaking them verse 38 and fortunately I don't think that's the last time that kind of thing happens and Jesus has got to point out to them this moment of a lack of faith we see it again in chapter 7 verse 18 and chapter 8 verse 17 and you kind of go on and on and on but until they see the resurrected Jesus, and fully understand what he did for them on the cross, they're going to struggle. I'll be honest, I think it does a few things in my mind. The first is it gives me remarkable hope for me because sometimes I fall short, sometimes I get it wrong, sometimes I don't fully see or realize or understand the full power and uniqueness of the risen Jesus. I could also argue for myself, actually, I have less of an excuse in contrast to the disciples because I know Jesus is all-powerful and all-knowing. I know that he has taken care of my sin. I know that he rose from the dead and I know that he can be trusted no matter what. Trials and difficulties are divine appointments to strengthen our faith. Would that be the case? It might not always feel that way in the eye of the storm, but they are. Culture and circumstances and our fear, whatever it is, can actually try and dilute or erode our faith. 
but trials and difficulties are divine appointments to strengthen our faith if we choose it to be that way. If we choose it to be that way. So what are we afraid of? Where is it in our lives that we still have no faith? Just because we experience something hard or something challenging doesn't actually mean we learn from it or that it grows us, but we have to allow it to. We have to realize it and take a hold of it and to be quite intentional in allowing Jesus to mold us and shape us and for us to be ourselves quite reflective in that process. Will you allow what you're currently going through to be for the benefit of your faith, to refuse to allow it to diminish you, to refuse to allow it to rob you of your authority, to refuse to allow it to distract you and to seek for it to grow your faith. If the enemy is trying to rob you or destroy you or rattle you or belittle you, I want to say, will you refuse to allow that to happen, that we would rise up in faith in whatever opportunity we have? Because I think we're in an opportunity-rich moment. This is a faith moment. I mentioned last week about dreams and health and all of that. And loads of you said to me afterwards, goodness, that's me. Honestly, we're contended for. Sometimes part of the challenge is just realizing we've been contended for, but then refusing to let that moment deplete you and to allow it to grow your faith rather than deplete your faith. Final thing I want to draw out of the passage this afternoon is this. The identity of Jesus is an issue that we've got to settle. The story ends with the disciples asking a question every one of us, I think, has to answer and is asked. Verse 41 says this. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. The passage says they are absolutely terrified. The fear of the disciples at what Jesus has done and who he might be exceeds the fear they had over the storm. Do, do you see that? Can I just say that again? That the fear of the disciples at what Jesus has just done and who he might be exceeds the fear that they had over the storm. Do we see that? Because when Jesus is in his rightful place in our lives, actually the other stuff fades away. The other stuff takes a back seat. We had um, such fun with our children, I think it was this last week, just having a snowball fight. And um, I hope you have the same rule, but my kind of golden rule is no headshots. And so as the, as the snow's starting to melt, finding snow was actually quite a challenge. Uh, particularly when you're up against it and people are trying to bombard you in a snowball fight, you will go anywhere and everywhere to find it. And um, Steph managed to secure, I'll use the word secure, like a pile of snow on someone's drive where they've kind of swept it into a big, huge pile. And rather than make a snowball, she's kind of just taken the pile. And uh, it was like a good size, it was bigger than a good size average snowman's head. And um, so out of me and the two girls, guess where this big pile is going? So um, I know exactly what's going on. I'm kind of, I'm good for it, if I'm honest. And I always think that kind of size of snowball that's about to fly at me, rather than duck it, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to take it out of the air and I'm going to turn it back on her. And um, surely that's the pinnacle of a snowball fight. When someone bombs you, you grab it and throw it back at them. But um, winner, winner, chicken dinner. But anyway, it was, it was kind of so big that I wasn't able to grab it. So as I went to grab it, 
I destroyed it and it flew all over the place. And the majority of it, I don't quite know how this happened, the majority of it landed between my face and my glasses, which I actually consider a headshot, but that's a different debate. But all I could see was snow. And I took my glasses off and all I could see was snow. And I opened my eyes and all I could see was snow. And I closed my eyes and all I could see was snow. And um, everything else was still going on around me. The kids are squealing in delight and they're gathering snowballs because I can hear them preparing for the next battle. All I could see was snow. You know, the fear of the disciples of what Jesus has done and who he might be exceeded the fear that they had with the storm. Imagine if we hold Jesus so closely to our faces that the lens through which we see life so close to our hearts that our response to literally anything is all I can see is Jesus. There's nothing else. If I close my eyes, I see Jesus. If I open my eyes, I see Jesus. All we see is Jesus through the cross. I love the snow and having it so close to my face landed me back on that wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 it says this come now let us settle this and I thought that had the snowball fight as well but come now let us settle this says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet I will make them as white as the snow though they are red like crimson I will make them as white as wool if you will only obey me you will have plenty to eat Would it be that we'd see Jesus again? The presence of God is far more frightening than the most destructive forces of nature. One can take your life, the other can claim your soul. They ask, who who then is this? Who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Despite their recent experiences with Jesus as he taught and he performed miracles and he's done some remarkable things among them they still aren't sure who he is there's a number of boat scenes in mark's gospel you can see him in chapter six and chapter eight and each time he's kind of associated with a miracle each is a challenge to understand and to settle the identity of who he is each is adequate for them i think to draw a conclusion that we must draw as well that he's the christ he's the son of god The famous atheist Bertrand Russell, this guy in 1870s, he was asked what he would say to God if he discovered upon his death that God existed and he was wrong. And his response was this, I will say, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. And I'd be honest, in the journey of my life and the journey we've had as a church, I I don't think that argument holds any water I can build a pile of stones to mark the territory of the boundary of the next step of the journey because I can build a pile of stones and show where he's been faithful in my life time and time and time again the evidence I think is overwhelming I can build a pile of stones because him being faithful doesn't depend on me being faithful 2 Timothy 2 verse 13, if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Rather than look at the storms, I want to gain, gaze on the goodness and the faithfulness with a heart of gratitude that no matter what I face or I go through, that we can keep building piles of stones. Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He hasn't changed. 
So often we do, but he doesn't, and you can depend and you can rely on him. I can look back on some of the most challenging, some of the most painful, some of the most difficult seasons of my life and say, whilst I wouldn't have chosen them, they have where I've allowed it, taught me, shown me, and revealed to me more of Jesus. Because the fear of the disciples of what Jesus has done and what he might be far exceeds the fear that they would have over the storm. What do you do in a storm? I hope we would also do the same when we're not in a storm, that we would do what Colossians 4 verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and have and be thankful in your heart. Eyes on him, focus on him perspective on him trust in him healing from him pains and sorrow placed on him needs and desires placed on him he's the one in the boat can i just remind you that he's the one in the boat it doesn't matter what the storm is and how big or how intimidating it might be for you right now he's in the boat he's the one that silences storms don't look at the storm Look at the goodness and look at the faithfulness of God in it. Shall we stand together? Let's just open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. I appreciate some of you will be new in this room, may not be used to this kind of thing, but we just want to take a moment turn the eyes of our heart onto him. To allow him to speak to us, to challenge us, to shape us, to change us. So Lord, we welcome you. The Spirit of God goes where the Spirit of God is welcome, so let's just welcome him. If you're new to the room, you may be wondering why we're just standing here silently. But there is purpose in that. We don't want to bring anything of ourselves into this space. Um, as we invite the Holy Spirit, we really want him to be the one who's guiding and directing. So we like to give him space. We like to invite him and say, have your will, God, among us. Holy Spirit, come and dwell and speak. That's always the posture of our hearts, week in, week out, and no different this afternoon. We just 
long for his presence in his way. I think there could be a number of people in the room who are feeling quite unsettled, um, not even necessarily in relation to kind of um, whatever church is at in terms of venues and moving around and different times and things, but just feeling quite unsettled. And um, I just felt like the Lord say, I, I put people in family for a reason. And um, these last couple of weeks have been such a powerful reminder of the gathered people are the church where we gather we are the we are the family we are the body together and um, just a reminder for you to be able to reach out to someone and say I'm feeling unsettled stand alongside me please pray with me I need I need my family right now and with all the twists and turns and the ever-changing nature of this journey of church planting and growth we can remember that as family we go I also felt that, that there may be someone um, here who feels like um, you actually feel like you're drowning. It might sound quite dramatic, but that is how you feel, quite overwhelmed. And then similar to that, but actually I felt like it was someone else who would identify with feeling quite suffocated. And it's in the presence of God that we, we are changed and we encounter his power. And so we would love to make space this afternoon to pray and to ask for his freedom and ask for him to just be alongside us as we walk this path, this journey of life. He steps right into, into the brokenness. He steps right into the feeling of drowning or suffocation. And he's right there with us. And he can do something about it. Just, I felt like um, the Lord was saying there's a, a few war veterans in the room. People who have um, stood in, in, in ministry, stood in seeking to do kingdom ministry, but have um, taken some shrapnel wounds. And there would be just a moment of presenting them before the Lord, asking him to uh, not just heal the wounds, but to give you strength to go again. I think specifically a number of you as well um, need, need the storm to be stilled. You, you physically, some of you, it's like a an emotional, uh, it's like a mind thing. Some of you, it's circumstantial. Some of you, it would be an employment thing. You just need somebody to stand with you and say, be still, be silent, fall before the Lord. There, there'll be a number of other things as well, but I just felt physically that there's a, a few specific things the Lord almost wanted to call out just to get your attention. I felt there's somebody where um, you have a pain on the, it, it's quite specific, it's like the tops of your kneecaps on, on both sides and somebody on your, uh, 
the left side of your face, almost like in line between your um, your left eye and your left ear. You're just repetitively getting a, a pain and a pressure felt there. And I felt like there's, there's somebody um, specifically, it's... Um, it's your lower uh, row of teeth coming round from the left, and it's the third one from the back. I just believe if, if you're here specifically, would love to know that. I just think the Lord wants to speak something quite directly and specifically into your life, but you're currently in significant pain with that tooth. Lord, I just pray among us this morning that you do what you always do, that you come and heal, you come and free, you come and liberate and you come and set us on fire for the gospel, for the truth of Jesus would be shared in and around us in, in greater measure. So we welcome you, God. And just before we respond, I feel like there's a, there's a few of you this morning that you, you, you feel like you're kind of flatlining a little bit in your faith. And you're, you're relying on the faith of others. And um, I just want to say, firstly, that's okay, but I believe there's something to grab hold of this morning. Faith is a gift. Some of you almost want to stand in the stream, stand in the slipstream, and actually almost physically take hold of something that physically is going to come upon you. And so you want to see an increased measure in faith and of your faith. Some of you, that's even just to know Jesus in the first place. I just want to encourage you, don't miss a moment of stepping into that. Come and allow others to stand with you and pray with you for that. So let's, let's do that now. Let's respond to what the Lord's doing. If you'd like to come um, down to the front, we'll make sure that someone in the life of the church who's in a small group will come and pray for you. Um, and thanks for bearing with us with the high degree of confusion over whether it's the morning or the afternoon. It's the afternoon, I can confirm. Um, so yeah, so why don't you come down? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.